0: Morning. We're going to the Gospel of Luke, Chapter Fifteen. Love of the Word of God. Amen. Encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. Don't have a problem with electronic devices, but there's something about having a Bible in your hand. If you don't have one, let me know. We'll see what we can do to get you a Bible. uh, As I said recently, if you've got a Bible and it's not an electronic one, then I have no doubt that you're reading the Bible, not looking at Facebook while I'm preaching. (laughs) Not that I think anybody does that. If you do, may your conscience trouble you immensely. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read the whole chapter. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners, for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness... And go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And either what woman having ten pieces of silver if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Verse 11, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son, make me as one of thy hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his eldest son was in the field, and he came, and drew nigh to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in, therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. But it was meet, or it was appropriate, that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Amen. With the help of the Lord this morning, for the next little while, I want to preach from the title, The Tale of Three Sinners. Tale of Three Sinners. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence that's in this house. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for the word of life, Lord God, that we have so freely in our hands. And Lord, you know every heart this morning. You know every need. You know every situation, every heartache, Lord God, every misunderstanding. And I pray today that you would minister to your people today, Lord, that you would have your way in this place, that your will would be done, and that you would be glorified among us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Luke 15 is a fairly well-known portion of Scripture, and it begins with the fact that the people that weren't considered uh, religiously appropriate drew Near to Jesus, and we see this happen in a variety of places in the Gospel that Jesus chooses to eat and drink and fellowship with those that were in society 's eyes looked down upon. They were the publicans and sinners, tax collectors, people that were well known and had a reputation for being dishonest, for being unscrupulous and We know the publicans were usually employed by Rome. To collect tax but they had a reputation for adding some extra tax adding a little more on the top so that somewhere between when they collected it and when it went to Rome or it went to the Roman authorities they were siphoning off a little bit for themselves and we see that happen in a variety of contexts even in a modern world today there are people that take advantage of systems and situations to to line their own pockets and the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious rulers got quite proud and arrogant and and uh, they were not in favor of Jesus mixing with these kind of people. I'm glad this morning that he mixes with those kind of people because you and I were those kind of people and he, he was willing to eat and drink and talk to us and to reach out to us and in response to their attitude the Lord gives Three, we could say, parables in the rest of this chapter to make a point to these religious leaders. And there are three different situations that he refers to. And I heard a man minister just recently and suggest that we could find ourselves in all of them if we're not careful. Because at one point in time, all of us were a lost sheep. All of us were in that place where we needed somebody to find us. And we make that, we, sometimes we use that expression, I found the Lord. It's is not completely accurate. He found us. You know, the sheep, when it's lost, doesn't know that it's lost. The sheep is just doing what sheep do. Sheep are not very complicated animals. They, it was eat and sleep. The sheep just thinks grass and goes to the grass, looks up, more grass and goes to the grass, and after a process of time finds itself separated from the flock and in a place where it doesn't really know how it got there and how to get back to where it came from. And I don't know about your testimony, but I can certainly relate to some of that. At one point in time, we were all lost sheep. But then he progresses a little further along, and he says to them, What woman having ten pieces of silver, if she loses a piece, doesn't take a candle and a broom and a dustpan and begin to sweep the house and look under the bed and and probably not under the fridge? They didn't have a lot of fridges back then. But look in all the places that were hard to get to. You know, you drop a coin and it can roll across the floor. And, you know, you can, I find, a, you know, I don't profess to carry a lot of cash, but every once in a while I'll be getting dressed for a service and I'll put my suit on and slip my hand in my pocket and it's $10 inside my jacket pocket, which I put there maybe weeks ago for something and forgot about it. It's like, wow, well, I got 10 bucks. But it's easy to lose a coin, but the, the, context if you like or the environment of this story is that it's happening within the house and so there is a warning for us there as the children of god that it is possible for us to be in the house and still be lost and when you do try to study this passage out the coins don't seem to be of great financial value but some commentators suggest that they they represent the headpiece that was commonly worn in in that part of the world and even in some parts of the world today where they would wear like a band, the ladies across their forehead, and they would have coins on that. And culturally that was almost a parallel to an engagement ring. It was a token of of a, a betrothal. And so for a lady to lose a piece of that would I guess be like one of you ladies losing a diamond out of your engagement ring. And Brother Peter ministered about that process a week or so ago. And and so it was very, it wasn't just about the monetary value, but that coin that she lost, if that was indeed the token of her betrothal, it, it represented an impact on a covenant relationship. And so when you're in the house of God, you need to have all your coins, if I can put it that way, because she didn't lose the whole thing at once. But if she had said, oh, well, I can't find it, I've still got nine then what happens when another one gets lost and then another one and before long she's got a headband with one little coin hanging on over the here and the husband's like uh where's the rest of the you know it's like if you went down past the cash converters and saw your wife's engagement ring in the window you might be asking some questions it might be what's she done with the money that she got for the engagement ring but you might be thinking well what's going on here there's there's there's, that's significant it's a token of our covenant relationship and so we have to take great care that we can actually be lost while we're in the house and then we also know so well the parable that we know as the prodigal son of the young man that left the house and eventually had to come to himself and return to his father's house but the the underlying thread One of the underlying threads is actually a lot in this chapter. But one of the things that runs through this chapter is the fact that regardless of which one of those three sinners you find yourself relating to, every individual matters. Every soul was important. 99 sheep were not enough. There was still one more that had to be found. 9 out of 10 coins was not enough. One had to be searched for and had to be sought for and had to be restored. And each time that happened, the Lord said that there is joy in the presence of God and the angels rejoice when one sinner repents. And then in the the story of the prodigal son, he, he, if you like, personifies the position of the father, how he is the one that is looking for the lost son. The Bible doesn't say that he loads up the car and heads out and searches the street, but he's looking down the road and waiting. And his heart is filled with compassion. And he draws that parallel with the older son, with the Pharisees. God forbid that we should find ourselves in the seat of the Pharisees. We need to be a place where when people do make their way home, that we're ready to kill the fatted calf. That even if it costs us some money, we'll put shoes on their feet. And a robe on their back and celebrate with them and forget their wickedness just as quickly as he does. Amen. The scripture tells us in the first psalm that we should not walk in the, sit in the seat of the scornful. We shouldn't be those ones that put ourselves in the place of judgment. And the underlying thrust of what I want to bring this morning from this chapter is that whatever your situation is this morning, he knows. He knows. And you might think you're only one in a hundred. You might think you're only one in a thousand and you're without significance. But he knows the Bible says every single detail. Jeremiah. He spoke to Jeremiah and he said, before I formed you in the womb, before you were even conceived, before your parents even thought about having a family, I knew you. Every thought, every decision, every life choice that he would make God knew him. And he was able. To minister to him and to guide Jeremiah, and that's what the Lord wants to encourage somebody this morning. God knows you. You are not insignificant. You are not insignificant. Wherever you find yourself this morning, the Lord looks upon you and he knows you. You might think after a long, hard day of I mean, I can't imagine looking after a hundred sheep. Trying to keep an eye on them because you know, sheep sheep in the natural, sometimes when we look at the scripture and the Lord describes his people as his sheep and the church as his flock, there's a little bit about that that's not very complimentary. Sheep aren't the smartest animals getting around. You've all seen the stories of, there was one that I've referenced before on the news, I think it was in Turkey, of some shepherds that for one reason or another, a sheep jumped off this cliff and one after the other, they all followed them. And they ended up with this pile of sheep at the bottom of the cliff. And many of them were killed. The ones that survived were the ones that landed on the giant sheep pillow. But you think, why would you do that? But the Lord Lord chose that animal to describe his people. So take out of that what you want. We're his sheep. So what really it means is that we're not smart enough by ourselves. We need the good shepherd. We need him to say, don't go near the cliff dumb animal although the lord never says that to us but we are his sheep and even though after a long hard day of looking after those sheep and leading them to pasture and then leading them to water and then trying to get the ones that would straggle and bring them back i mean these guys worked long hard days when they came back to the sheepfold and they counted them in there was only 99 there's one still out there i don't know but you yeah, but i'll be thinking man it's been a long day uh, that you over there she's getting ready to have another lamb we'll be back up to 100 in a few days time tax man won't know we lost one but no he put the sheep in the fold closed the gate and even in the weariness went back out and found and you know what the bible says the bible says that he took that thing and he carried it on his shoulders the prophet hosiah said all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned each to their own way but he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bears us. He carries us. He bears our iniquities when we wander and we go astray. He takes us and he says, I'll take the consequences of your sin and of your wickedness. You matter this morning. You're not insignificant. See, we get to the lady with the ten pieces of silver. You know, when I was a kid, you know when you're a little kid, even maybe not so little, you kind of think your parents just have money stashed somewhere. You don't understand that there are, money goes in and money comes out and there's rent or mortgage and petrol and food and gas and electricity and all those wonderful things that you get to pay for when you become a grown-up. You just think that your parents have money. You go to your parents, you ask for stuff and boom, there it is. I knew a young lady once that she was quite young and she was talking about, somebody was saying about, you know, that's quite expensive and she said, oh, that's okay. She said, my mum and dad, they just take out this book and they write on a piece of paper... And they give it to someone, it's paid for. It's a checkbook. The, as a child, you don't comprehend that your parents know exactly how much money they've got. Most of your parents, you know, most of you adults, if you've got cash in your wallet, talk to me afterwards. But you know how much is in there. You know, oh, I might, you know, $1,000, $2,000, i am not sure. Most of you know, I've got a $5 note and a $10 note and a $2 coin. Because you know you've got to pay for something or there's something you have to take care of. And when I was a kid, I didn't realize that parents knew how much money they had. And my dad used to come home from work. This is confession. This confession is good for the soul, somebody said. And on his bedside table, every day after work, he'd take his wallet out and put it there and his watch. And any coins that he had, they'd just go on that bedside table in a pile. And I I did that when I started work until my mother and my sister used to help themselves to my coins. And I went into my dad's room one day, I don't remember why, and there's this pile of coins. And I thought, man, I mean, when I was growing up, you could get something for a coin. And so I I don't really remember why or how. But I figured, I'll just take one of those. Dad, he's got lots. He won't know. Guess what? He knew. He knew exactly how many coins were in the pile on the bedside table. He knew exactly how many were there. And I found out very quickly that it wasn't just to help yourself, Paul, that you could come and take whatever you wanted. God knows exactly how many souls there are. We look at this world and we think, a billion people, seven billion people. We can't even comprehend a billion. I can't comprehend a million. But he knows exactly how many souls there are. And you might think you're just an insignificant speck, on a great pile of souls but just like my dad knew exactly how many coins he had the lord knows exactly where you're at this morning he knows exactly where you are you see the bible says in i believe it's in matthew the lord said he said two sparrows are sold for a farthing now a sparrow wasn't particularly impressive it was if you were buying sparrows to eat you were living tight You know, you know, you've been in a situation, some of you folks, when you're trying to put some money aside and, you know, you're maybe not eating the, the food you really like to eat, but you're eating the cheap stuff. That's where the sparrows were. You know, when you had somebody around for dinner, you didn't serve sparrow. And so they were really insignificant. And he said two sparrows are sold for a farthing. And then in Luke, a couple of chapters before where we read this morning, it says that five sparrows are sold for two farthings. Any mathematicians in the house can help me with that problem? Two, look sp- at these fingers. Right. Two sparrows sold for one farthing. So how many should two farthings buy? We've got a couple of people confident enough with their two times tables. That's awesome. <laughs> Mathematically, if one farthing buys two sparrows, two farthings should buy four sparrows. I'm not sure I'm going to trust any of you to do my grocery shopping. You don't seem real sure about that. You get two for one. So you would get four for two. But the Lord said that you get five for two. It's a little bit like when you go shopping and they'll say, one of these is $3.50. But if you'll buy two of them, it's $6. And you go, oh, that's a bargain. And you may never need the second one, and it may go off before you use it, but you bought it because it's a bargain. You know? That's what they do. And you think, Wow, if you know and then say, But if I buy three of them and you start doing the maths. And the principle here was that the sparrows were so insignificant and considered so low in value that, hey, if you'll give me two farthings, I'll throw an extra sparrow because I hey, you know, they're sparrows. But Jesus said, Two farthings buys I'm gonna get this wrong now, two farthings buys five sparrows, and he said I see every single one of them that falls to the ground. Even that free one that's without value, when it dies, when it falls to the ground, I see it. And he said, you are worth more than many sparrows. That's what he said. He said, you are worth more than many sparrows. Nobody is insignificant in the sight of God. You may be insignificant in the sight of your family. You may be insignificant at your school, at your workplace, wherever it may be. But nobody is insignificant in the sight of God. And he demonstrated that again and again and again. A little man named Zacchaeus, and you know the story, wanted to see Jesus. Had a bit of a gravity problem. He wasn't real tall. So he had to get up in the tree. And he didn't he wasn't looking for attention, he just wanted to be able to see. And Jesus stopped and called him by name. I bet that blew his mind. I don't believe they'd ever met before. I'm surprised he didn't fall out of the tree. But he's up the tree, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. Because I'm going to your my house. Zacchaeus hadn't cooked anything. I don't know if he was married, but his wife hadn't been told, hey, we got guests coming today, put out the best crockery. But he said, I'm coming to your house. And what happened? Zacchaeus began to want to change. He sat with Jesus, and Jesus ministered to him. And Zacchaeus said, Lord, if I've taken anything I shouldn't have taken, which is a polite way of saying I have, he said, I'll restore it, and I'll give extra back. You see, when, Jesus, when you come into his presence, he makes you want to change he makes you want to change. But Zacchaeus was not popular. In fact, I promise you Zacchaeus wasn't invited to very many people's houses for dinner. Other tax collectors, maybe. But he was not loved. But Jesus said, you, the little man in the tree, come down. I'm coming to your house. We know these stories. We know the story of the woman that was taken in the act of adultery, grabbed brutally by a group of men. We don't know how many. All of them Angry, disgusted with her, and their pride and their arrogance, and they wanted—they they weren't really concerned about her sin. They were trying to catch Jesus, but she knew the consequences. She knew what she was facing, and I imagine that her heart was pounding, a hundred miles an hour in her chest, because she knew she'd been caught in sin. She knew the law said that she should die, and the, those accusers brought her, and they—Bible the says they thrust her in the midst, more or less where Jesus was, and all of them sort of. Arguing and jostling, and said the law says. Moses said she should die. What do you say? That woman, I have no idea what was going through her mind, but I promise you, she was terrified. But you know, something we sang a song this morning, and one of the lines in that song just hit me. It said, "In your presence, fear is silent, because when he spoke, nobody else said a word." All those accusers came and said, she's an adulteress. She's a wicked, immoral woman. She she deserves to die. What do you say? And all of it was about fear and condemnation. But when Jesus opened his mouth, fear was silent in his presence. He didn't say, you're living a great life. Keep up the good work. He said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You are significant. I promise you, she never forgot that day for the rest of her life. She went out of there, and she was probably like, "What just happened? What just happened?" And she—I'd like to believe she went on to become a follower of the Lord. I guess eternity will tell us. The Bible doesn't. But there is example. You know, there was a man. There was a man who didn't come from a, a church background. Didn't come from a, a family that you know had religious heritage. We might like to say, you know, it's it's nice to be able to say, "Well, my great-great-grandfather was an apostolic and." Which is nice it doesn't get you into heaven but it's nice to have a good heritage there was a man that didn't have any of that kind of heritage in fact he there was this big church that he wanted to go to but he'd never been there before and he traveled a long way to get to church and for one reason or another he wasn't allowed in and we know the story from the book of acts of the Ethiopian eunuch traveling home after being rejected after not being able to Worship—I don't even know—it's hard to comprehend how much he even knew when he went to Jerusalem. There's not a lot of background. There's not a lot of backstory given whether he'd done some readings because he's reading Isaiah and he's trying to work out who the Scripture is talking about. And and the Lord, this always blows my mind. God took Philip out of a city-wide revival. Can you imagine, Brother Chichi's preaching a revival? And the entertainment center in the city and they can't they can't fit the people in this is what this is how big a scale this thing was the, the biggest stadium that we had in perth was full of people and they're putting speakers outside to hear the preacher that was the kind of environment that philip was in the whole city of samaria was turned to the lord god give us that kind of revival but in the middle of that see this is why it's so important to walk in the spirit Because in the middle of that amazing revival, God said, get out of town to Philip. Now, I'd like to tell you I could be that sensitive. If I was in a citywide revival and the whole city was turning to the Lord and every time I was preaching, thousands of people were getting the Holy Ghost and getting baptized in Jesus' name. If I heard that, I'd be like, something's wrong with my brain. But Philip, was sensitive enough to the Spirit of God that he left that city in the midst of its incredible revival, found himself in the desert, rendezvoused by coincidence, with an Ethiopian man who just made across the country, several countries, journey to be rejected, is coming home in a chariot, which was probably not the smoothest ride in the world, but it beat walking. And he's trying to read a scroll And there's this prophet talking about a man who's going to be wounded for transgressions and bruised for iniquities and like a a sheep before a shearer opens. And he's like, who is he talking about? And because he mattered to God, God puts Philip in the same chariot. You know, the, the amazing part about this is the answer to the question, who is the prophet talking about? Has only just recently been fulfilled. Calvary's not that far beforehand, and yet the Lord's timing—he brought this about, and Philip was able to preach to him Jesus, and he was baptized in the middle of the desert. They found some water, and he was—and he said to Philip, "What's stopping me now?" He'd faced rejection. He's like, "All right, this is great. What do, you know? Am I am I eligible? Will you baptize me, or is there going to be another problem?" And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you can. And he was baptized in the name of the Lord. You are not insignificant this morning. I don't know who I'm ministering to this morning, but whatever place we find ourselves, whether you're the lost sheep, the lost coin, or the lost son, none of us are insignificant. We are not invisible. We are not, every single one of us matters in the sight of Jesus Christ. Young, old, educated, not so much, rich, poor, whatever background you come from, if you're still at that point where you come to church and you haven't got a clue about half of what's going on, you're still significant. You still matter. Every one of us matters. God sees every single one of us this morning. We are not without significance. Amen. Bless the Lord. I want you to stand with me. I don't think I'm going to go much longer. cast if I can get you on the piano, please. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I want you just to lift your hands for a moment if you wouldn't just worship the Lord. Jesus. When I read Luke 15, I've been the lost sheep, I've been the lost coin. it's only by the grace of God I haven't been the lost son. You know, I was talking to somebody just recently and I get to thinking about my life, and I do from time to time, because it's good to look back and see what God has done. I look back at where God found me as a little boy, where it really found my mom, and I just benefited from the overflow. And the things that God has done in my life, again, And again, and again, the times when you feel like you're not important, nobody even notices you're here. But again, and again, and again. When I read that chapter, it tells me that he rejoices when one sinner repents. I want you just to say, I am that one. (laughs) Whether you've never repented or you have a long time, I'm that one. He rejoices because of me. Because I'll say, God, I need you. I need you, Lord God. Hallelujah. This morning, as our sisters lead us, it's just a simple message. But if you feel like the fifth sparrow this morning, feel like nobody thinks you're of any value, they just give you away for free. He sees. And I want you to take an opportunity to come to the front of this church and say, God, here I am, Lord. Help me to understand that I matter in your sight. Not that we can get proud and arrogant, God forbid, but there's something about knowing that he loves you. There's something about knowing that he sees you every day. And I don't want to embarrass anybody this morning, but we're singing a song this morning about he gives and he takes away. I watched a young man who's just lost his job dance as he sang that song. We're not insignificant. He is our provider. He knows where you're at. You're not the fifth sparrow. You're a child of God. You matter in his sight no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. You are worth more than many sparrows. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.